0: Walking through the forest with you has been a dream Seeing all the beauty in this world Every bird and squirrel Climbing trees and laughing Throwing rocks in the stream But there's so much more we could do, girl Put up heroin and walk out in the sunshine because happiness and sunbeams make me smile. Run through the meadow twirling, having such a good time, and I haven't.
1: Hello and welcome to Casts and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White. This is, of course, the official podcast of Waxwork.com, bringing you radio serials and comedy and stuff like that. As I said, my name is Jordan D. White. Uh, first, I just wanted to let you know, that song you were listening to, Waxwork Theme L, also known as Let's Shoot Up. I'm not actually promoting heroin use, just so you know. I, I wrote that song and performed it and all. Uh, the, the, it was a kind of, you know, it was a gag. The joke was that I, I just thought it was kind of funny and messed up that there are so many songs about doing pot, just, and just like casually, you know what I mean? There's just so many songs about it and they're just like yeah you know getting high and I was just like oh that's funny like what if there were maybe just some casual songs about really hard drugs and so I wrote one um, I've never done heroin so I don't think you should actually use heroin there's a disclaimer at the end of the song later but I'm just gonna say I just wanted to say that and get that out of the way oh thank you I'm, I'm sure the listeners are very glad to know that you don't do heroin uh, but I should mention that there is a world where you do and in that world uh, your life is very very sad you're not married you don't have cats you don't have a job.
2: Oh I don't have cash what? Who, who got
1: what about me? In that world, you also are addicted to heroin. You're not with him. You have a different family, but you're also addicted to heroin. What?
2: What is he... Why? Are you, what is your heroin? Uh,
1: guys, uh, hold on, hold on. I haven't introduced you yet. And uh escape, hold on. You're, you're not. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to teach him about heroin just now. That's yeah, probably not a good idea. Uh, you know, I, I'm. By the way, I'm Frank Allen. Just so everybody knows, my name is Frank Allen. I am co-host of the show. I, you know, I usually do the introductions. Yeah, but you weren't doing it, so I wanted to get right to it. I wanted to introduce myself. Okay, well, that's Frank Allen. And- as he said, no, "I already said it. I do the debate sections of the show and the interviews, things like that." Yes, correct. And uh, next to him, the one who I uh, was talking about—the world where, <laughs> where I'm addicted to heroin—unfortunately—is uh, Roy Sinjin, who tells us about history. Yes, that is I. I do talk about history because I am an historian, correct. And finally, the little one was my cat Scape, who is not addicted to heroin and never will be.
2: What is heroin? I don't even. Sir It's like. What is it? I don't even, I really don't know what it is.
1: It's a drug. Okay. Do you remember the time that we took you to the vet?
2: Oh, I hate it.
1: No, that wasn't it. That was I wasn't done with the story. Remember the time we took you to the vet and you were really, really tired because we had given you like liver and you ate the liver and then all of a sudden you got really tired.
2: Yeah. Why?
1: Well, that was. I mean, that wasn't heroin, obviously, but it was a. It was. It was a drug. We gave you a drug in the liver and it made you tired. And heroin's another kind of drug.
2: It makes you. Tired?
1: Well, I don't. I don't. I mean, let's, okay. Let's. Why are why are we discussing this? Well, you brought it up. You wrote us home about it. In fact, it's your own fault. Well, I guess yeah, I guess it is. But okay, we're not going to talk about that. Drugs are drugs are not good for you. That's, there's a reason they're illegal, and it probably has more to do with health than it does with other things. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any answers. Clearly, clearly, you don't. Um I have a lot of answers, but. I don't know if you guys want to hear them just now. Oh, actually, uh, yeah, you have some answers we want to hear. We want to hear about what happened with uh, the your contact, your radio producer contact last week. You didn't ha- – you, ha- you you ha- you built us all up for that big interview. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then didn't – you didn't have an interview and – I mean, did the guy listen? Uh, Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I – you know, he – yeah. And he heard the, the no interview. Yeah. So, is he going to listen again this week when you actually have something or – I mean – did you talk to him? I talked to him a little. I mean, I uh, I did I did get to talk to him. He said, you know, he said I should uh, I should keep trying, and uh, you know, tell him. Well, he didn't say to tell him about next time I do stuff, but I probably will try. try you know, and uh, so I, I mean, obviously he didn't hire you. No, no, um, he didn't. He didn't hire me. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I guess that's no, no. It's all right. It's all right. I mean, I, you know, like, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep plugging away, and you know. There's going to be other producers and there's even going to be him. Like if I get a really good interview on here, I'll just, I'll just tell him to go listen to that one. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a very good idea. Well, I'm sorry you had a tough week. Oh, I mean, it's, it's fine. I, you know, I did, I did get other stuff for this week. I mean, you know, I, I keep going. This is, you know, you have to get used to this sort of, you know, rejection. I, I mean, again, I'm not really used to it yet, but you gotta get used to it if you want to stay in this business. The hosting business. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, entertainment business in general. I mean, but yeah, hosting specifically. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. No, no. I mean, it's not, it's not your fault. It's, you know, it's my own fault. I should have, I should have made sure. Well, again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, you know, I know it's tough, but you know, you'll make it. Keep trying. Keep plugging. For now, you get to stay on the show with us, right? Because otherwise, I'm sure. I mean, that's the thing. I, I asked you how it went, but I guess I sort of figured if you had, if it had gone like well, I probably would. not You wouldn't be here for me to ask, right? Well, you know, I mean, depends. If he said, you know, you got to start today, I probably would have started that day, and then I'd be kind of busy. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of uh, uh, people getting hired for things, Rory, I heard you got some good news. Oh yes, uh, I did. I did actually. Um, I have. Uh, I've received a new client, which I'm very happy about. He heard me on the show last week. He was a special case. He hadn't, uh, he hadn't listened to the show before, but he heard me on last week's show and thought what I did was very intriguing. And he got in touch with me through the Institute, which was nice. And he, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very lucrative position. I, again, I'm, I'm giving very, very consistent readings, historical readings to this gentleman based on all of his, his decisions. He, he really, that's, I mean, that's fascinating. What kind of, what kind of things go into this sort of, I mean, like, I mean, I, I know, I know you can't like tell us about the specifics, but you know, what kinds of things do you do readings on? Like, you know, he, He, he does investments and he asks you if they were right. No, no, no. It's more like, um, you know, for example, he, there was, there was, there was someone he was considering hiring and he didn't. He decided not to. And he asked me if this was the right decision. And so I told him about another universe in which he did hire this person and let them do what it was they were going to try to do for him and that it failed miserably and it became, uh, very, very unprofitable for him. And then he felt very good about not hiring this person. So, you know, it worked out in that way. Huh? Wait. No, that's interesting. So so you're saying um he was listening to the show last week? Is there any I mean he does he not is he not a regular listener? I mean how come he was just starting last week? Uh uh wh- I don't I don't know. I, I really couldn't say. He just surfed into the show. Well, you should you know ask him because I want to know where how word of mouth is spreading. I mean if he heard about this show in in, in on a on a blog or on somebody's chat board or something. I I want to know about it because I want to see where people are talking about our show. Um well, I don't uh I don't think that was why he was listening. It, but I I can See. I mean, well, well, then, I mean, but he's got to have a reason, you know, especially, like I said, I mean, if he started with this episode, that's a little random because a lot of the series go in order. So I, I would think most people would just go back to the first one again. But I mean, I suppose some people might just say, hey, let me listen to the most recent one, see what it's in, what's interesting about it and all that. I mean, I was just wondering if there was a reason that he wanted that particular show. Did somebody say something to him? Did somebody say, you know, listen to this episode for some reason? Ah, uh, Well, I hold on. Are you, I really don't, I couldn't say for certain. It's really weird. I, I, well, like I said, if you talk to him, I mean, again, if you're uncomfortable asking him, just, is this, are you, are you, are, are, did you, did you get hired by, by my producer? I, you know, I, well, I, of course, I couldn't, I couldn't say. I mean, if it, if it, if it was, I, I wouldn't really be allowed to say. I, like I said, it's confidential information. So I couldn't really say if that was the case. Well, no, yeah, but you could, but you could say if it wasn't the case. Well, uh, I, well, I suppose if, if, if I wasn't hired by that gentleman, I could say, yes, that I wasn't hired by him. But by by opening that door to say no, then I'm opening the door to you saying any person, enlisting all people. And then I, I, I would have to not deny when, it, you know what I'm saying, it, it just sets a precedent that I'm not really comfortable with. You were hired... You, you just... you were hired... You were hired by the producer that I got to listen to the show. No, 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 I didn't say that. I did not say that. I did not say that. Because I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say I keep confidentiality. And I wouldn't even say if it wasn't. If you could say, uh, is your, is your client Spider-Man? And I'd have to say, uh, I couldn't say, you know, I couldn't say. Even though Spider-Man's not real and it couldn't be Spider-Man, I can't say for certain. That's not, you're being ridiculous. You were hired by my, you, I, br- oh my God, do you have no decency? Oh, no, no, hold on. Of course, I, I, of course, of course I do. I don't know what you mean. I brought that, I brought that, producer to listen to the show because I was going to get, I was going to get a job on his radio and you got hired to do your nonsense. How can this, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world, Frank. <laughs> uh, hey guys, uh, let's talk to Scape. Hey. Scape, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. What is going on with that guy?
1: Oh, n- uh, nothing, Scape. You know, just uh, maybe human things, ridiculous human things you don't care about. Oh,
2: like um, like when you go to work or when you uh, <laughs> watch TV. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, like those things. Things you don't. Things you don't appreciate. Things you don't understand. Um, but uh, how are you doing? Did you have a good week? Did you um? Did anybody hire you or fire you?
2: No, I told you, I don't do work. Just their
1: work. Well, that's good. That's good. So it was just a relaxing week?
2: Yeah. I did a lot of that sleeping that I do. And I did some eating. And I did some, uh, demon swaying. And that's about it. Uh, bird watching too, I guess.
1: That's it? Nothing exciting?
2: Well, I think that's all pretty exciting, to be honest with you. I mean, it's good stuff. It's the same yeah. stuff
1: we always talk to you about, so. Oh, okay. Alright, well, um, let's get to our first cereal. And uh, while... Well, We um, just move on. Uh, This one's called Decker and Hayes. Now, I do have to apologize a tiny bit for the sound quality on this one. This is from the first season, which, as I have told you before, was – Recorded live on the air of the radio station WHRW Binghamton. After the first season, we we started pre-recording the shows because well, it brought the quality up a ton. Now this is remastered as best as I could get it, but uh, this episode in particular, I don't know what was going on in the studio. Listening to the original recording of it, it's there's so many pauses. You can hear people doing stuff in the background. I I think I vaguely remember us trying to record a live radio serial on the air and people coming in and trying to like mess with equipment and do things things, and I'm just like sitting there thinking, what are you? doing we're on the air live anyway i tried to cut as much of that out as i possibly could but you can hear it a little bit in the acting that i do you can sort of hear in my acting where i'm kind of like no honey it will not be okay you know because i'm sort of sitting there going what the heck is going on I'm um, sort of like frank is doing right now um anyway here's decker and hayes episode five enjoy
0: Decker and Hayes,
3: Episode 5, Hear the Whisper, by Jordan D. White. Parlor town, a city seeped in sin. The people here may not all have jobs, but they've all got secrets. Sometimes those are worth more. Everyone here has something to hide, and oftentimes they'll hide it from everyone, even the ones they love. So it is for Macy Hayes. She and Stella Decker founded a private investigation firm together, Decker and Hayes. And they found it a lot more together in the privacy of their apartment. Even so, Macy has secrets that she's never told Stella. Secrets that led her to an abandoned clock tower in the south tip of Parlor Town. Meeting with Dr. Anthony Cross and Tess Wexler-Nichols, the knockout who'd hired them to find out what happened to her dead husband. The same dead husband who just showed up on this meeting with a number of boys with guns. Macy was beginning to hate secrets.
4: Jack, you're alive!
1: Save it, honey! You're not going to set eyes on that code.
4: Jack, no! Not what I meant!
5: Code? What code? What is he talking about? Why am I not surprised?
4: What the hell is going on here? Jack, I... Just don't say another word. They don't know. I haven't told them anything. I thought you were dead.
1: Not for lack of trying, darling. You're going to have to try a lot harder than that to kill me.
4: I swear it wasn't me.
5: If you're trying to double-cross me, whisper. I don't think you're in any position to negotiate, old man. Oh, quite right, Mr. Nichols. Lita and I will be more than happy to run up the
3: white flag. Search them. Two of the six armed men came forward to search Cross and Macy. But as soon as Macy was close enough, she kneed the thug in the crotch, grabbed his gun, and jammed his finger down on the trigger. Cross had done the same to his, and before the others had time to react, Paladin and Lolita had swung their assailant's guns around and taken out Jack's other four armed henchmen. They dropped the two men to the ground and kicked them in the face almost in unison. Suddenly, the tables had turned on the formerly late Jack Nichols. Macy and Cross both had guns trained on him. Let's be reasonable here. It's all right, Jack. I'm more than prepared to be reasonable.
6: What the hell is going on here, Paladin? What's the score? I've told you, Paladin, I'm never working with you again. I want no part of your games. I'm finally out of your nonsense. I am not letting you drag me back in.
7: It's been a pleasure working with you, Lolita.
3: But you've got it all wrong. This isn't about you at all. It was at this moment that Macy felt the pain in the back of her head. The pain that told her she should have kept an eye on Tess, rather than allowing the redhead to sneak around behind her and smack her over the head with the butt of a handgun. (laughs) As she was tumbling, her other half, Stella Decker, was sliding into a booth at Stan's Diner, opposite Julian McGinnis,
8: the pair's main competition in the gumshoe biz. Thanks for coming, Stell. What do you need, McGinnis? I'm on a case. Me too, and like I told you. I need your help. Also, I've got some information you might want.
9: Yeah, what's that?
8: <laughs> that broad. Tess Nichols? The one you're working for. I never said that. Give me a break. Anyway, I wanted to warn you about her. Her story stinks. And how would you know? Because, like you said, Bobco was steering the cases my way. She came to me with her shtick first. She wiggled her way into our office, and she was really selling things. Oh, my
0: husband. Oh, I'm so vulnerable. I need to be protected.
8: Just dripping with seduction. The story stunk, and I told her so. I Said we weren't buying, that she was peddling.
9: You homo. But, of course, you figured we'd fall for her. Head over feet. You're
8: working for her, aren't you? Alright, alright. So. What do you want? I'm actually working on a related case. Just coming at it from an angle that's, uh, not so dirty looking. I have a lead that might get us both a bit of information. I'll tell you what I know if you can help me get the dirt tonight. Fine. Who's the client? The owner of the Blue Diner. Stickler. Wants to know why people keep smashing his plates. The bastard. No wonder he wouldn't tell us, Jack. Yeah, well, he told me plenty. Apparently this isn't the first time his plates have been all smashed up. Just the first time there wasn't sight of dead guy with them. Apparently every two days or so he's be coming in, finding the place turned head over heels, but nothing missing, not even money, just broken plates all over the floor. Alright, so what do you want from me? He's closing the diner up early tonight. Nine o'clock. If you stake the place out, there's a good chance we'll find out who's been smashing things up when they come back for more. Why don't you just do it yourself? Like you said, I got a lot of cases. I'll be doing work for a certain city councilman tonight.
9: Next time I see Bobco, I'm gonna kick the bastard's teeth in. Isn't that what got you in this mess? All right, fine. You've got a deal. But, if there's any trouble, I'm gonna come and find you and your city council boyfriend and make you both pay. Bring it on,
8: girlfriend.
3: Stella took a cab back to the office and found the place empty. Tommy had gone home for the night, and Macy was nowhere to be seen, either in the office or their apartment upstairs. Stella tried Macy's cell phone but got no answer. As it got nearer to 9pm, she gathered herself up and got ready to head over to the Blue Diner once more. She took a few swigs of whiskey, wrapped herself in her heaviest long coat, jotted a quick note to Macy in case she came home and headed out. When she arrived at the Blue, Stickler was just locking up the doors and heading out. Once the old man was out of sight, Stella walked up and started to case the place, noting the most likely points of entry, in order to make sure she staked the right door. The back alley door was the least secure. As she headed out of the alley where the dumpster had been located, she almost ran face-first into Tess Nichols, who was wearing a fur coat over a less-than-conservative dress.
4: Oh! Oh, Miss Decker.
9: Tess, what are you doing here?
4: (gasps) I... Oh, but you'll think it's foolish. What is it? I just... I felt I needed to see it. See where this horrific thing was done to my husband.
9: You shouldn't be out alone in parlor town at night. There's no knowing what could be done to you.
4: The same that was done to my husband.
9: And worse.
4: What What are you doing out here, Miss
9: Decker? Call me Stella, babe. I was just following up a lead. You know how it is for a dick. Always on the job.
4: I can't tell you how much it means to me that you're helping me find out what happened to m- to my jack. Is this where it was done?
9: Just over here, yeah. But there's nothing to see anymore, except a little battered bit of police tape in the trash.
4: Still, I had to see it. I must say, I'm glad you're here. I feel so much safer with you around. Hey, don't mention it. I know I don't have a lot of money right now. Jack, he took everything before
9: he... But I do appreciate you. Say nothing about it. We're happy to help.
3: Tess shivered as she looked over the rim of the dumpster, gazing intently at all the broken blue shards. Stella put an arm around her as the snow began to fall once again.
9: You should really be heading home. It's only going to get worse out here tonight. I'd take you home myself, but I have to follow up on a few things still. I'm sure you can catch a cab down at the end of Jensen. You're going to stay here? Like I said... Leeds. Can I stay with you? I won't get in your way. Tess, it isn't safe out here. I'll be safe with you. Tess. I know it. Tess.
3: Tess threw herself into Stella's arms and looked up at her, her eyes widening into freshly glazed saucers, tears welling up and threatening to join the fresh snow on the pavement. Tess whispered to Stella, her words floating out on the visible vapor of her breath.
4: Please, don't make me leave you, not now. I'll do anything.
3: Stella's eyes were locked in Tessa's. She couldn't have looked away if she'd wanted to. She felt Tess's breath heaving against her bosom. After a moment frozen in that position, the two slowly came together in a kiss, shattered only a moment later, along with the silence, by a gunshot that echoed through the alley. Stella felt Tesco slack and tumble into the soft white that had begun to accumulate on the pavement. In her right hand was a small but extremely sharp knife. Stella looked up to the head of the alleyway see Macy, the handgun from her purse, smoking in her hand.
6: You're welcome. Our partnership is over.
3: The woman who'd hired them was dead at their feet, while the dead man was back up and about, doing who knows what. And Decker and Hayes are more confused than ever. Is their partnership as dead as their client is? What happened to Macy after she'd been knocked out? What did Tess really hired them for? What was the code Jack mentioned? What did all this have to do with Stickler's plates? We'll return in two weeks with the next episode of Decker and Hayes, Crossing Off Names.
1: In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Timon, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Tess Nichols was Devon White, Jack Nichols was Jordan D. White, Dr. Anthony Cross was Aaron Bass, and Julian McGuinness was Rich Bellin. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Murkowski. Thank you very much, Rory Sinjin. What do we have up next? I think we are next going up to Rory Sinjin's part of the show. Would that be cool with you, Rory? Oh, absolutely. That sounds like a plan. You know, yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll just steal his part of the show. Well, how would that? How would that be? Well, that wouldn't. but well, it wouldn't be fair. Look, look. I'm not. I'm not being a radio DJ. I'm not taking the, the actual position you were going for. No, but you took the. That I was going to. He was going to. I was. He was. too I was trying to impress him, and you ended up. Impressing Well, I'm an impressive person. I don't see what the problem is. Well, guys, 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 let's not fight about this, please. Uh, not on the air. You know what? I mean, if we want, we can stop recording and you guys can fight as long as you want. And, oh, you know, I'm a professional and I'm going to go on with this, but I'm just saying it's not fair. It's not right. You're not a reputable person anymore in my book. Oh, I didn't know I ever was a reputable person in your book. You seem to be spending as much of your time in, as possible in this show, discrediting me. As you tried to do last show, I would point out, but you didn't, as was evidenced by the fact that the person you brought to listen to the show hired me. Oh, so you, so you admit. You you did it just to get my goat. Is that what it is? No, no, no. I did it to get money, and I'm doing it to get more money. But I also don't mind the fact that it rubs it right in your face, that I am a reputable person, that I am a desirable employee, and you are not. Wow. (laughs) Um, Okay, uh, Rory, we're going to go to your section of the show now, and we're all going to calm down by the time it's done. Okay? Fine. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this day in history. My name is Roy St. John on WHRW Bickhamton. On June 2nd, 1865, in an event that is generally regarded as marking the end of the Civil War, Confederate General Edmund Kirby Smith, commander of Confederate forces west of the Mississippi, signs the surrender terms offered by Union negotiators.
5: Kirby's, I, as General, I'm General Kirby Smith, Mr. Union General Man. You know what I'm going to do? I have a parting gift from the surrender. You know what I've got for you? What? It's my friend in Australia, a
10: friend
7: who was uh, sent to Australia for murder. What's do you? bring to placate the will of Ulysses S. Grant?
10: Thought you would at Appomattox, sir. But at any rate, General Grant,
5: I've got a gift for you. It is I know a...
7: all and see all.
5: In this box, I have my pet kangaroo. Fantastic. You have appeased it Ulysses can, S. Grant. It can hop, it can
7: box. Is it true what they say about its magical pouch? Can I, Ulysses S. Grant, ride in it?
5: Yes, and it will grant you both immortality and and is the most powerful aphrodisiac known to mankind. Then this nation must be littered with them. Wait I... a minute, wait a minute. I'm not the Australian, just came over from the boat. I've got a whole boatload of
7: kangaroos. You can have them to breed. Why the hell are you here?
5: I'm your friend from Australia, don't you remember me? I Lord. can
7: explain his presence. As the all-powerful, omnipotent Ulysses S. Grant, when you showed me this wonderful creature, I mentally summoned him so that this nation can be covered with kangaroos. Kangaroos. What could be better? Don't you want to be like us in you know? Oz? Not really.
1: And the kangaroos did take over the entire country, boxing the Union into place, and in fact, just knocking them right off the uh, edge of the land into the water where they all drowned. Make sure that you, as the ruler of a nation, or the general of its army, don't introduce invasive species where they don't belong. Kind of a complicated message, but there you are. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. That was a complicated message. Let me clarify this is Rory Singer on Cast and Wax with Where Are They Now in History? And I'm going to clear that up for you very, very simply. By continuing the story of the United States of Kangarooica. Once the kangaroos had taken over the entire United States, they started spreading. They spread to Canada and boxed everyone off of that land. Then they spread to Mexico and boxed everyone off of that land. And they spread over the entire continent of North America. Then, South America. Then, kangaroos developed the ability to make boats. And they sailed across the seas. They kicked everyone off of Africa. They kicked everyone off of Europe. They kicked everyone off the entire continent of Asia. And of course, as you know, they already rule Australia and your book. Already destroyed all of humanity The kangaroos then developed the ability of spaceflight They flew to Mars and they killed all the Martians They flew to Jupiter and they killed all the Jovians They flew to Pluto and they killed whoever lives there They flew everywhere in the entire universe And they killed everything that was alive Because they weren't native to those places Just being there, they destroyed the entire ecosystems Of everywhere they went Now, of course, if you are a kangaroo This is probably a relatively good thing And you could think this is nice But if you're not, you should realize That bringing invasive species to places That they aren't from originally Can be very detrimental to the ecosystem. This is Rory John with Wow, well, are they now in history from okay, casting Wax. <sighs> okay, and that was this day in history with some information about why why you shouldn't bring kangaroos to other countries, I guess. I will admit, this is probably a public service announcement that doesn't affect too many of our of our listeners. Well, no, but first of all, of course, it warns against the kangaroo uprising, which is always a possibility. And second of all, um, it usually isn't referring to things like kangaroos. It could be bringing um, certain s- foreign species of plants, or insects, or, you know, strange pets and letting them breed in the wild. I mean, things like that. It is possible that one of our listeners is on a, an exotic holiday and wondering, should I bring this crazy thing back with me? And they listen to this podcast and they learn no, no, you know what, I shouldn't. Yeah, that's not very likely. I don't really believe it. But I, I actually just thought of something. I just thought of something. Yeah, what's that? No, it's for for Rory. Rory, you were talking about last last week. You were talking about this uh, number line, right? I suppose yes. You said uh, okay on an infinite number line, any number you can think of is on the is on the line. That's your evidence, which proves uh, that any universe you can think of is in the line of infinite universes, right? Of course, that is absolutely correct. All right. Well, I've thought I've thought of a number that is outside of the line. Hmm. Um, no, yeah, you couldn't have any number existing is on that line. Yes. But watch this. I've thought of a number, okay? Ready? Here, I'm going to read out the digits. One, seven, three, chicken. I'm sorry? Are you calling me a chicken? No, no, that's part of my number. That's part of my number. 173 chicken. Where's that on the number line? Well, it's not, because it's not a number. Well, I know, that, but that's, you know, that's that's my point. I'm saying, I'm creating a number, but it's a number that doesn't exist on that line. Uh, because it isn't a number. Well, yeah, because I'm not following a set of rules. You're saying any number, but but that's just because we already know the rules of numbers. There's a, there's a certain way that numbers are made. You can't just make a number out of anything. You can't go stick, magnet, three, dog. That's a number. No, it's only got w- one digit in it. it, it it's not a, a number. I still don't understand your point. Well, my point is that you're you're saying any universe, I could come up with a universe where I'm Spider-Man and people are green and uh, there's no gravity so everyone can fly all the time. Yes, and that universe, as crude as it is, does exist. Well, no, it doesn't necessarily exist because there... It doesn't necessarily follow the rules of the universe creation in, of actual universes. We don't understand those rules, so you might not understand those rules. So that might not be a real universe. Well, this sounds like a rather shaky theory, and I could look into it more as a as an alternate historian, but I don't think it bears that much looking into. It, it doesn't really sound very profitable or um true. Well, well it doesn't. Oh, it- no, but neither does what you s- say sound true. Well, but it does sound profitable. Yeah, but it has to sound true, too. No, listen. What I'm saying is, you're, you're... Well, okay, what if I said, uh, here's a universe where, uh, where alpha, beta, orange gene. That doesn't mean anything. No, I know it doesn't, but I just put a bunch of words together. Why not that universe? Because it didn't mean anything. It has to actually mean something. Well, I don't... No, but I'm, what I'm saying is you're 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 reading certain rules into the number line that you're not reading into the universe generation, and you're talking nonsense. I I, I really don't understand what you're talking about. He's actually, I think he's on to something. I think I think he's on to something. It's a we understand the theory of mathematics. So when you say think of any number in a line, it works because we don't conceive of numbers that are outside of the line. We we just we are programmed to think of that of numbers in that way. We don't think to ourselves, you know, one five cell phone because we we know how numbers work, and they don't have cell phone in them. So he's saying we're not programmed to think of universes that way, so maybe when you say there's a universe where he's Spider-Man, there actually can't be because it doesn't follow a rule. Well, that's why you rely on someone with an education in the field of extra history, like myself, like my colleagues at the Institute. This is why I've always said it's not for laymen. This is not an occupation that you can just waltz into and say, oh, I've created a universe, I've just discovered a universe. There's a universe in which, uh, you know, I'm the president, and... And everyone bows down to me. "Me, me, me." Well, no, there's more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. Yes, that is the universe, but there's still more to it than that. Well, I don't think that there is because I think you're just making things up. You're just making things up. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree. Oh, sounds like, sounds like food for a debate. Speaking of debates, did you like my transition there? It is time for a debate with Frank Allen. That was a good transition. Ah, fine. But, I don't, I mean, we're not done with this. We'll have to talk about this again sometime. Sure, yeah. Uh, sounds like a plan. Moving on. Like I said, debate? Yes, uh, this is a debate. On the topic of torture, and I think you'll, you'll be able to decide whether or not torture is good at this point, uh, whether it should be used in interrogation, and if it is able to be used in interrogation, I might have to use it on Rory. Excuse me. Frank, come on. Well, let's find out. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Debatatorium 2006, the show in which uh, people debate uh, the hot-button issues of today, solving them once and for all so that we don't have to worry about them anymore. This this episode is a particularly hot-button issue, which means you push the button and it's very hot. I'll tell you in a minute what we're debating, but first let's introduce our uh, skilled expert debaters who have been studying for this debate for quite a while. Uh, debater number one. Hello. Hi there. Please introduce yourself.
6: My name is Dot, and I'm the smallest person on your planet.
1: Now, why are you calling it my planet?
6: Because I am from the planet Small, and we are all my size there.
1: Okay, so how are you the smallest person on my planet if you're from another
7: planet?
6: Currently, I'm on your planet.
7: Okay, that's kind of a technicality. Okay. All right. Um, and debater number two. Uh, yes, Hello. Please introduce yourself. I am uh, Roland Thomas, and I'm here to represent the Log Cabin Republicans.
1: Welcome, welcome, thank you. I'm really happy that you're here. And of course, I'm especially happy that you're here because of this such very important issue uh, in which you are here to say... Uh, I'm sorry. What was your last name? I forgot. Uh, Mr. Thomas. Mr. Thomas is here uh, as a member of the Log Cabin Republicans to say that torture is not an acceptable interrogation technique. While Miss Small here uh, believes, of course, that it is, uh, as I'm sure you could guess from her planet, Small. Uh, but Mr. Thomas, as the uh, opposition, you do get to go first. Tell us why torture is not acceptable.
7: Well, honestly, I believe that torture should be acceptable only in the bedroom. Um, it's it's something that's very close to me, very personal, and it should be against. You know, two loving partners that obviously you know can't get married, but I I definitely believe that it should be restricted only to sadomasochism.
1: But in but in interrogations, when when a, for example, if you captured a terrorist,
7: that filthies the whole thing. It you know, it's it's no longer sacred at that point.
1: Okay, so it, to to torture a terrorist cheapens torture.
7: Exactly, they don't deserve that.
1: Interesting. That's an interesting point of view. Uh, and uh, Miss Small, why don't you uh, respond to
6: this? This is actually something that is very near and dear. A former citizen of Planet Small. Former? Yes, I live on Earth now, as I explained. Oh, I thought
1: you were just visiting. I didn't know. No, realize.
6: I live here. Planet Small is currently one of the most peaceful planets in the universe. Um, and this is because it has a history of torture as an interrogation technique it has been extremely successful and in fact it has sort of been the cause of our very small size
1: i don't understand
6: it's kind of like when you in china when they do foot binding and eventually the foot gets smaller
1: are you saying that you did body binding
6: yes among other things.
1: To make your body smaller? Yes. And this made you peaceful?
6: Eventually, people were so afraid of the interrogation techniques that they didn't do anything bad anymore.
1: So you live constantly in fear?
6: Well, I don't really anymore. Um, because it is so peaceful there that I started to miss the the torture interrogation techniques, so I moved here.
1: Wait, but, I don't understand. If they had
7: those torture techniques there, why did you have to come here to because get them? Because
6: they don't use them anymore. They don't need to.
7: Can I can I see your immigration papers, please?
6: I don't have them on me. I already live here.
7: Uh-huh. Yeah, so you, you just decided to walk across the Rio Grande.
6: I from another planet sir
7: i thought you said you were an alien
6: yes from another planet
7: and let me get one thing straight the most peaceful planet in the universe is the united states of america that's a that's a pretty good point but
1: here no here's 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 what i don't understand you're saying that torture is good yes because it deters crime
6: yes except for the fact
1: that you and gentlemen like mr thomas enjoy torture and therefore, possibly, would commit crime in order to be tortured.
6: I don't like torture happening to myself.
1: You just said you missed it.
6: I, I miss it happening in general. Oh. We get used to it after a while. It being a part of our society.
1: Do you want to respond to this, Mr. Thomas? Or
7: Well, I, I, I do know it much. I mean, it, it is addictive. Um, Once you start, you know, after the first four hours and you're hanging upside down, you know, from your testicles, it's...
6: I don't have any of those.
7: Well, if you did, they'd probably be too small for me to see. Well, I don't think we want to see them, especially
1: not on the radio, but... I
6: don't have any!
1: It's alright. You don't have to... Alright, the point is, uh, we do have an expert here, I think, who does want to introduce himself.
10: Yeah, I'm, uh... Senator Smith-Smith, uh, senator and part-time game show host.
1: Senator Smith-Smith, it's nice to have you. off. Uh, what state are you from again? I forget.
10: Uh, state of New York. Welcome. What did you want to comment on today? Well, uh, yeah, I wanted to comment on the whole, uh, subject of torture. Um, where do I begin? Uh... I'm actually a senator from the future, and our modern political science, which is far better than anything uh, you presentees, as we call you, have. Wait a minute! Hold on! Hold on! What?
1: You call us presentees in the future?
10: Yes, presenties.
1: wouldn't we be pasties?
10: Uh, don't get caught up in semantics, please. But as I was saying. It's so evidently clear in our time that, um, torture is a perfectly acceptable thing to use in a time of war. Why? Oh, it's so easy. I mean, you know, if you gotta find out the secrets that will, that could save thousands of lives, and that's the only thing you have, well, that's what you gotta use.
1: Now this, I gotta say, this doesn't seem like sophisticated future political science. This seems kind of like the same old political science we've always heard.
10: That's what I'd expect a present to think. Well, a pasty? A pasty, whatever you want to call yourselves.
7: <laughs> I don't call myself, I would call myself, alright. All right. I'm sorry, Senator, what party do you represent?
10: Uh, the super neo-progressive cons. So, pro- you're a communist. No, no, that, that's a super neo progressive comms. You're oh, a pro con.
1: You're a pro con.
10: No, no, no. That, those are the neo progressive comms. Like, no, communists. No. Yeah, but you, so you're a pro con. A pro con, yes. Interesting. Look, I, I've taken 10 years of poli sci, and, you know, I'm a senator and I'm a game show host. I don't really need to explain this stuff to what, you people. Uh, you're not going to get it.
1: What game show do you host?
10: It's nothing any of you pasties would be familiar with, but it's a. Uh, it's, uh, called, Guess What That Celebrity's Doing Today? And if it's do, you, pr- do
1: you guess what a celebrity's doing that day?
10: Oh, of course. Oh, what do you get if you win? Money.
6: What do you get if you lose?
10: We all laugh at you and I, make fun of you.
6: I was kind of hoping you would torture them if they lost.
10: Uh, well, we do that too, but we're more... We're more for the psychological torture. Oh,
6: that sounds more sophisticated than what we do.
1: Yeah, I think I think this kind of torture. Well, I don't know. I mean, what kind of torture are you promoting? Are you promoting physical torture or
6: any of the above? And- uh, y- whatever is most successful. You know, uh, look, people respond best to physical violence, so probably physical.
1: And and what about you? What kind of torture are you against? All kinds or just certain kinds?
7: Well, yeah, mostly the physical kind, but y- you know, it it really isn't. It's really the intent behind the torture is what counts. It's a thought that counts. And, you know, I just I just feel that there's no way that you could really tell somebody, you know, you've been tortured, you've you've probably gotten off on it by now, and you probably want to torture some other people. D- you know, don't do this again. Right. I, don't, L- look. I don't think
6: that's why we do it. In fact, if they got off on it, I think it would be counterproductive.
10: Look, it's really simple, and you guys just don't get it. You know, we're in a war... In the future, of course. And if you want to find out something that the enemy's going to do that's going to kill thousands of soldiers, you got to torture them. It's really not much more complicated than that.
1: All right. Well, that seems like pretty simple of an argument. Um, now, interestingly, we do have, uh, we actually have uh, a, well, a... Alleged terrorist who has been tortured uh, And I think he wants to say a few things
3: About that. Hi there. Hi, uh, your name Please. Hi, my name's John Donaldson. I'm a Librarian.
1: Okay, John, uh, good to meet you Librarian. Now, apparently you were arrested for terrorism Suspected terrorism. Mm Mm-hmm. And you were
3: Tortured. Oh, yes. Horribly. Can you tell Us about it? Um, kind of sucked Yeah. Not gonna lie there. Did you give up? Well, actually I did lie there. I was kind of strapped down They dropped water on my head for like Three hours and then I broke Down and told them whatever Would make them stop hurting me So it worked? Um, Yeah, my entire family got killed. Wait, I'm sorry, your family got killed? How's that? Was that Um, the goal? I'm not sure. They were asking me about, you know, do I know anybody who might be a terrorist? Maybe my family. So I really wanted them to stop dripping water on my head. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure.
1: Were your family terrorists, really?
3: Well, no, actually. They were also librarians, except for John, who was a banker. Oh, and... Leonard, but he's a wizard, so we don't talk too much about him. Do you check out terror books? No, I actually don't check out many books myself. Do you- I, It's the thrill of ownership for me, really. I actually prefer to purchase my own books. Say, did you talk about Leonard
10: the wizard?
3: Yeah, he's my cousin, Len Donaldson.
10: Oh, we make fun of that guy so
3: much in the future. Okay. Why do you so do that? I've been tortured and apparently everything my family does will come to nothing. Thanks a lot. Jerk.
10: Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, that's great.
3: Okay, well, um,
1: now, thank but I, but I do want to know, as you are an actual torturee, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to say on behalf, uh, uh, whose side are you on? Are you on the side of Mr. Thomas here or Ms. Small?
3: Well, hmm, normally I do hate it when, you know, people blow up my buildings or steal my books or fart too loudly. But now that my entire family is dead, I gotta say, torture, not such a good idea. Really? Yeah. So you're on the side of Mr. Thomas? Don't listen to him. No, no, I think... Aren't you, you're on the, the non-torture side with him? Yeah, you?
7: I think what you're trying to say is do listen to me. No, no, but what he's saying is that, that torture's bad and he doesn't like it. It's really reverse psychology. He's trying to get you to use it against him when in fact you shouldn't. He loves it and he wants more of it. I can see it on his face. What nationality are you, sir, might I ask?
3: Um, American? Thought so. What do you, what do you mean, thought so? I don't understand.
7: Oh, that's, that's us, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's oh. us. So okay. Americans
3: love being tortured, that's where you're going here? Oh, where are you to go there, slick? I mean, all right. I don't love being, I guess I'm not an American, then. I don't Wait, love being tortured. But you are you are an American, right? <laughs> I thought I was, but now you've gotten me all confused with your log cabin republicanism. Do you actually live in a log cabin?
7: Uh, yes, that's exactly why they call me that. Wow. With about eight other men that are usually nude. Huh. Interesting. That's.
3: And are they all Republicans? Or? Yes. Okay. That's well, an nice interesting lifestyle choice. It's nice to have a unity of political
7: view. Do you place. have to worry about splinters a lot? Um, you know, down there. No, because we have plenty of bearskin rugs. Ah, it's rugs. not not so much a problem. Okay, that's it's, good. it's more fleas. All right. Well, um,
1: we really should uh, start bringing this uh, home. So I do want to go into our final arguments, Mr. Thomas. Uh, why don't you sum up for us why torture is not acceptable?
7: Torture is not acceptable because it's, it's it's something that's supposed to be there between two semi-consenting adults. Now, why um, is it semi-consenting? Well, it's because normally they struggle and they say no, and then eventually they they're like, "Yes, I want more," and you okay. know, so it's you know how they are
1: reluctant to. Some Do you extent. actually
3: know how it is, Frank Allen? No, I, I was
1: just. Oh, I'm, supposing, me, no, I'm supposing. no? I'm supposing. Who lives in your log cabin? I Frank? I don't live in a log cabin. I have a a We had a little pre-show. Penthouse.
10: Did you guys hear the one about Frank Allen's log cabin? No, there isn't That's one. That's gonna about- be on my next show.
1: There isn't one about that. There won't be one about. Look, I live in a very expensive. Oh, look, let's just go on. As you were saying, semi-consenting.
7: Uh, it, it it just uh, the sanctity of uh, of torture between one man. And one woman, and sometimes one man, and one man, but not legalized by the constitution, okay. um, is is something that's sacred. And you're trying to destroy it by letting the terrorists do it. Before you know it, polygamists are going to be wanting to be tortured, and we don't want to...
1: And then dogs will want to be tortured. Dogs, right? cows, makes sense. Uh, we don't. Why we got to stomp it somewhere? Miss um, Small,
6: I I would just like to say that as a former citizen of a planet that regularly utilized torture, I know that it is the most effective. Uh, venue, most effective way to get what you want, and most effective way to eventually achieve peace. And I would even go as so far to say that I think that Earth should be torturing more and should have stricter rules. For instance, I think we need to talk about where all of you tall people can walk and and start punishing people for stepping in areas where they could possibly step on people like me, because that hurts. Mm. So I think that should be very torture-worthy.
1: But there's only one of you, so why would we even care?
6: Because you should care about everyone who lives on your planet. Except for people being tortured, yeah. We care about them. We care about the information they have.
1: What information is a person who accidentally stepped on you going to have that we need to retrieve?
6: It's a different scenario. I'm saying you shouldn't just go stepping where people could be. Not to mention that people from Planet Small could also come to this planet. We are very smart. We could use our brains. But
1: but if it's not... So you're saying we should use torture as an interrogation technique and as a punishment? Yes. Just for fun? Yes. And you're saying just for fun only? No. No, him. Yes, exactly.
7: You can see where the lines blur.
1: Yeah, it's it is kind of, but it but it's a it's a very important distinction, and one that I have thought over quite a bit. And I gotta tell you, I think torture belongs in the bedroom only because you know these, these things. It just it just doesn't doesn't sit well with me.
6: Such small brains and such big people.
1: It doesn't sit well with me torturing people against their will or against their will completely anyway.
7: Uh, are you implying that because I, you're, you're small, you somehow have a larger brain in your itty-bitty brain I'm cavity? I'm saying
6: that you people, being so large, should have equally large brains. We do. And don't, compared to me.
7: Well, you know what that means.
10: Small brains, small bodies, small something else. Oh, she's
1: talking. I
6: already said I didn't have any of those, sir.
1: Yeah. Well, at any rate, um, so that does mean Mr., uh... Thomas did win the uh, Debatatorium 2006 uh, episode, which means he will be back in our next round for uh, debating for the title of Debatiator of the Year. Uh, this is going to be very exciting. Don't fret, Miss Small, that you may be able to come back as a wild card. We'll see. No promises. Uh, but sorry for your loss.
7: Me uh, too. Thank you for seeing the light.
1: No problem at all. My pleasure to see the light. Uh, this has been Not Debatatorium
6: my fault. I can't see above your heads.
1: 2006, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Good night. That episode of Debatatorium featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Patrick Ganan, Lynn Nelson, Nicholas Roach, Daniel Schwartz, and Jordan D. White. Thank you very much, Rory. Uh Scape, what did you think about torture?
2: Uh, what do you mean, what do I think about it? Well,
1: you kind of practice it, don't you? I mean, you're cats. Cats are kind of notorious for torturing their, their prey. What? I don't. What about when you, yeah, you, like, catch a mouse and you, like, throw it around and you, like, bat at it and you, you know, throw it and then run after it and things like that. That's
2: not torture.
1: It's not torture you you're throwing a little creature around and hitting it and biting at it. And how is that not torture?
2: It's not. I'm just playing.
1: You're just playing?
2: Yeah. It's like a out of fun. You take a mouse, right? And you uh, jump on it and you catch it and then you can like run and then you drop it and the mouse goes like, oh, holy crap, I'm alive. Rah! And then you run after it again and you jump on it again. It's like double fun. You had fun one time and then you get to have fun again and it's a second time.
1: That sounds exactly like double fun. But it's only double fun for you.
2: What do you mean only for me? That's the most important thing.
1: That it's fun for you? Yeah. I'm saying it's not fun for the mouse. It's like torture for the mouse.
2: It's a mouse. I'm going to try to eat it.
1: Yeah, I I guess that's true. But I mean, so you're going to eat it. Why do all this terrible things to it first?
2: Who cares? It's a mouse. I'm going to
1: eat it. Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, Speaking of torture. No, not really. Frank, what are you doing? I'm I'm just writing something down. Don't pay no attention. Um, what's up? What's up? Well, I was, uh, we're at your other section. I was going to let you do your, your little segment, your little special segment. You mean you didn't take it away from me this time? No, no, we didn't. Um, actually, it's, it's actually yours. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, all right. Well, uh, here we go. It's got something special planned for you. Frank Allen interviews starring Frank Allen. Hello and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. Uh, I have a very special guest with me today. As you heard in that Debatatorium episode, uh, we decided that torture was wrong, well, in, in use in interrogations, only for use in, in private romantic settings. So, uh, we actually have an official here from the government, uh, to, to talk to us about what the government's been doing since it's been determined that torture is wrong. Mr. Uh, Rock Chevrolet.
5: Uh, General. Rock Chevrolet, uh, Mr. Allen. Oh yeah, General. I'm sorry. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's really flattering you had me on. So, what's your actual position with the government? I'm the uh, director of the Bureau of Homeland Seduction and Information Retrieval. I'm sorry, Homeland Seduction. That's right. We uh do all our seducing at home uh and the reason that seduction has become so important in this modern world of information is that um since torture is only permissible in a romantic setting we've found that we had to bring the romance back into our information services this is a christian land mr allen and we've been told to love thine enemy and that's what we intend to do so okay i'm so, I, i'm a little confused so you're saying because torture is permissible in a romantic setting exactly we uh we bring our enemies and our terrorist opponents and those who know about what they're about to do into our own bosom so to speak and literally we uh we take them into into our arms and we treat them right mr allen and uh that's when we can get sadistic on them so to speak you see When they led us into such a trusting position that, uh, acts of unspeakable torture are just what they require of us, that's when they become most forthcoming, and that's when we can find out everything we need to know about their plots to destroy us. Because when they trust us, Mr. Allen, there's nothing about their plans to blow up our major landmarks that they won't be willing to give up for one more taste of the United States's sweet pain. Uh, So, so you wine and dine the enemies of the country? I mean, what, like, I mean, what has become of Guantanamo Bay? Well, Guantanamo Bay has been outfitted with some of the finest bedroom accommodations that you'll ever see, some of the finest leatherworks that you're likely to encounter, some of the finest wines and some of the finest winers that the United States government has to offer. I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little baffled Uh, so so i mean this works oh absolutely absolutely uh torture is is one of the most wonderful things about love mr allen and not everyone gets to see that but let's say uh we bring Ahmed into our arms. We seduce him. We get him to depend on us, to love us more than anything else he holds dear. More than Allah? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mr. Allen, we've discovered that the only way to beat an offer of 72 virgins is to offer you 73. Se- 73? Are, are there that many
1: virgins in the united states army
5: uh well there's different reasons cause people to join the army mr allen i mean if not then we might have to institute a draft in the near future a virgin draft well it might become necessary to safeguard the homeland mr allen one never knows but well okay let's go through this step by step let's say
1: for a moment that i am i'm suspected of terrorism okay so i'm in my terrorist cell i'm doing my thing a sleeper cell What, what do you do? What's the first thing that happens to
5: me? Well, one of our specially selected agents we will come out here and, and, and seduce you and that might mean different things for different people. Usually involves the usual accoutrements of sexual seduction plus romantic elements that we've specially determined to be relevant along the lines of gifts, atmosphere, etc. And we usually have very, very uh, specific data available for you. We know what library books you like to read. We know what you like to talk about on the telephone with your lovers and uh, we can pre- provide that to you. We know more about you than you know about yourself sometimes, Mr. Allen, and you'd be rather surprised. So once we have your love and your trust and we know how to get it, then we strike. With excruciating torture like you'd never believe. And you love it. Well, so, uh, wait, but if
1: I love it, why would I give in? Why would I give you my information?
5: Trust, Mr. Allen. You always hurt the one you love, and terrorists always hurt the country they love. No, I thought they hurt the country they hate. They love their country, they hate us. Originally, then they come to love us. But then they
1: still hurt us? I mean, that doesn't seem like it's helping anybody.
5: Love is a mysterious thing, Mr. Allen. That's how torture works, and that's how terrorism works. BDSM and international terrorist intrigues are really one and the same, and we've got to fight fire with fire.
1: So, I mean, well, what's to stop the terrorist from just calling out the safe word?
5: Well, quite simply, we we, we don't uh, have a safe word yet, which might be in contravention of laws as they stand, but uh, we don't typically let that get in our way. I mean, you really
1: gotta work one out. You can, I mean, you can use, like, I don't know, rutabaga or something, and, I mean, maybe you just don't tell
5: them that? Well, we could have one and just not tell them, like, uh, in case one of our, uh, torturers romancers is uh, in danger they could call out the safe word and then uh, save them and well, that wouldn't really be necessary no no i mean I, I i mean the person
1: calling out rutabaga would be the the terrorist oh in case of what in case you were hurting them too much to talk well then how would they call it out true well we'll keep it in mind I, it just seems like there ought to be a safe
5: word in, in case they get hurt
1: all right. Well, maybe th- I, mean, I mean maybe I'm not thinking about this clearly, but I'm just I'm just saying if it's I mean, do you? Well, actually, that raises a question. Do you love the terrorists the
5: way that they now love you, Mister Allen? United States government loves everybody. That's why we're such a diverse, and glorious nation today. We just reserve the fruits of our love for those of us who are in a position to accept it. For instance, if you happen to be born in a country outside the United States, we love you, and if you were born here, we'd show it. So we show them love. We've taken them into our arms, but they're not American. That's a sad thing, but there's nothing we can do anything about. Wow. So, all right, so let me,
1: so let just to sum it all up, even though torture is not able to be used in interrogations, you've
5: gotten around this by, by, by using romance as a means to torture. That's right. Torture is now confined to the bedroom between two loving human beings. Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm glad you're still stopping terrorists. I guess that's the important part. Absolutely. We're stopping them in the name of love. Before they break the law. All
1: right, well, uh, thank you so much, Mr. Uh, General Rock Chevrolet. Uh, It's been a pleasure to have you here.
5: Oh, an absolute pleasure, Mr. Allen. And I suppose I should call out Rutabaga, because it's time to end the... (laughs) Yeah, well, I I don't know exactly what I do. I I guess I stop, right? Yeah, now we stop. I stop. All right, good night. Uh, This has been a Frank Allen interview.
1: I'm Frank Allen. Thank you very much for that, Frank. That was very, very interesting. Uh What do you think, Rory? Uh, well, like you said, it was interesting. Of course, I don't understand what your obsession with Rudebaggers is. It's just, just it was, it was an interesting topic, and I don't feel like I have to answer you anything because you're a backstabbing conniver, a backstabbing. I'm not a backstabbing conniver. Well, what do you call someone who connives and backstabs someone? It would be a backstabbing. Con- I don't know what else you would call him. A jerk, I guess. I could shorten it. You're a jerk. Well, uh, excuse yourself. Look, like I said, we're in different fields. I don't understand what the problem is that someone who did didn't hire you to be a radio host, hired me to be an extra historian. These are separate fields. If I was looking for a job in extra history and the person hired you as a radio host, I wouldn't be offended, except for perhaps the fact that they had very bad taste in radio. Or well, maybe I have offended that they are, are, are stupid and, and hired a con man for something that's total nonsense. Uh, Frank, I just, uh, sorry, I just wanted to point out that you just called a radio producer uh, stupid. And you kind of, like you said, wanted to get a job with him, yeah um well he okay i I'm, I'm I apologize, I don't think that you're stupid, um because it's not your fault, it's his fault, he's a con man, he's a liar, he's taking your money, and i if i had known you were considering hiring him, I would have advised against it uh, because he's not a reputable person. He's he's a conniver and he uh, is stealing from you. I'm not stealing. I provide a service. I give extra historical readings for a fee. It's not theft because I actually give them what they want and then they give me what I want. It is a it is a perfectly legal system. Yeah. It's a perfectly legal, completely immoral, disreputable, backstabbing, conniving service. I didn't see how it's backstabbing. You're right, it's not backstabbing. You're a backstabbing of me. Backstab. Frank, calm down. I'm calm. I'm just, you know, I, I'm totally calm. I just want to end the show no we can't we can't end the show yet it's not time to end the show we're still in the middle of stuff we've got another serial um what we've got next is epic echoes um it's the backwards series so this takes place before the last episode uh that we heard in the last episode we heard the flashback come together after being apart for a while which is why this episode features the adventures of the flashback without max thornfield so hopefully you'll dig that
11: Series, Episode 8, Under the Mall, by Guinevere Eckert.
0: Bo, What is it?
11: The three members of the Flash Pack climbed from their small land transport and approached the mist. Taking his cue from the others, Crisp walked on forwards until Molly had to grab his arm to prevent him from causing possibly irreparable damage to his person. They stood at the edge and watched the cloud rise possibly hundreds of feet into the air and all along the ground for as far as they could see in both directions. It's some sort of... Pinky cloud or something. Molly picked up a nearby pebble and threw it into the cloud. It barely disappeared before it came hurtling back at the flash pack.
12: Mauve, Keen. Definitely an impenetrable mauve cloud. Are you sure it's mauve? I was thinking more of a lavender.
1: Or even a light magenta.
12: Hi, back to the part where it doesn't matter what color it is. The point is, are you sure it's impenetrable? Oh, definitely. Julie and I, we... We came across the directions for assembling them one time.
6: Well, if you know how to put one together, you must know how to take it apart, right? That's the thing.
12: We never built it. Granted, it was simple enough. I'm sure even Max could do it, given thorough enough directions. (laughs) Some of the stuff you need to work it. Man, only the truly insane have access to those kinds of materials.
11: Right on cue, the maniacal laughter began, echoing dangerously through the cloud. (laughs)
6: um that was creepy it came from inside the cloud wait molly weren't you telling me about these things a few months ago wasn't the only
11: person able to construct one in the past 10 years that's right
6: my dear
13: von
11: wicked (laughs) the menacing figure okay so it wasn't quite menacing the figure of Okay, fine. Some kid in an oversized tux and a fake mustache suddenly appeared in the cloud, floating some 10 feet above the flash pack.
12: No, y- you can't be. We killed you. And why are you wearing that silly fake
0: mustache?
13: <laughs> Actually, it's junior. But I figure since Dad isn't around anymore, why not continue on in his name, fear fair electrodes in the hearts of the masses, leaving a trail of broken bodies and cities in my wake, on the road to becoming the greatest mad scientist in the galaxy? And the fake mustache is because mine hasn't grown in yet. Wait, you're not even old
12: enough to have your own mustache? Just how old are you? Twelve.
13: Twelve?
1: That seems a bit young for... And a
13: half! Uh-huh. Molly, remind me to never breed. Hey, my father manufactured his first biochemical plague when he was seven! And, if I remember correctly, all his concoctions were confiscated and he was
12: shipped off to the nuthouse before he could do anything with them.
13: Hey, just because my grandmother happened to call him for dinner right when he perfected the blend... ...does not negate the fact that I come from a line of scientific geniuses! i am the only genius in your lines, your grandmother... While Keen and Von
11: Wicked were going at it, Molly and Slaughter were doing some feverish plotting of their own, trying to figure out how to take down the impenetrable Malfe Cloud.
12: I think I know how to do it, but it might cause a complete meltdown of the entire area, and I'm not sure that it'll actually work. I just wish we knew what was in there.
6: What did you have in mind?
12: Plasma Cannon.
6: Molly, you know we're trying to save lives here, not commit suicide? That's why I need to
12: know what's in there. The only reason you put up an impenetrable cloud is to conspicuously hide something. If what he's got can absorb most of the ray, we'll be fine. Oh yeah? Well,
11: your mom- Keen! What are you doing? He said my mom was so fat that she has her own zip code. Keen, your mom does have her own zip code. Molly gave Keen the look and turned to Von Wicked Jr. Von Wicked? Junior! Von Wicked Jr! Shut up! Make me. Crisp and Keen grabbed Molly's arms and held her back from rushing at the cloud. Lon Junior, what do you have in that cloud, young man? What
13: have I got in here? I've managed to salvage some of my father's old vials of plague. (laughs) When I set off the rocket they fused to, it would blast up into the air and crash down into the earth, creating a shockwave that will shock the earth and will carry it with it the particles of biochemical tragedy.
11: <laughs> the flashback started at Von Wicked for a moment before jumping into action.
12: Plasma cannon?
11: Plasma, yeah. Go. Molly ran to the transport and started rummaging through the compartments. Hey, Slaughter? Slaughter ran to join her.
12: I know you were saving that rubber band for your giant rubber band ball of doom back at Flashpoint, but, uh, could I have it,
6: please? Molly, do you have to? I don't have any rubber bands from Houston yet. It'll be a great addition once I reconfigure its atoms to make it large enough to- Slaughter! She'll take you to Office Max and
12: buy you a whole bag of them. Just give her the rubber band.
1: I would do as they ask, Slaughter. Something tells me that Molly has some genius plan, and if you don't give her the rubber band, there might not be a flashpoint left to go- Shut
11: up, 8215. Slaughter handed over the rubber band with a hurt look on her face. Molly rummaged for a few more moments, coming away from the transport with a screw in the side view mirror.
6: Um... What?
12: Just trust me, Slaughter. Take the screw. Hold it in the rubber band like that. Yeah, there you go. Keen? Keen! Stop arguing with a 12-year-old and hold the other end of this rubber band. No, just stand there. Now don't move.
11: Molly broke the mirror into three pieces and positioned them around the screw in the rubber band, shifting them slightly to catch the sun directly. While the three of them attended to that, Crisp stood off to the side with a puzzled look on his face. He made a few hand gestures, like doing math in midair, then pointed to the right and wandered off. Without Keene's insults to keep him occupied, Von Wicked was growing bored.
13: Oh, Flash Pack, Flash Pack! don't tell me you're actually trying to stop me! Go!
11: Slaughter gave the rubber band a final pull and released. The screw shot up into the sky. Between the sun, the mirror, and the reflective quality of the screw itself, it acted as a magnet for the sun's light. About two and a quarter miles into the air, the screw melted and began to plummet back to earth. A giant ball of plasma headed straight at Von Wicked.
13: Oh, Molly, do you even know what you're doing? You're sending a plasma right at my little plague rocket. Apparently you forgot what happens when you send a plasma shock through an energized rocket. It doesn't destroy it. Rather, it sets it off with a rather nice boost, too. Way to go, Flashpack. You've just sentenced the entire planet to the Middle Ages. (laughs) Oh, God, what have I done? I can't believe
11: I forgot. I'm sorry, guys. I let you down. (laughs) <laughs> Molly, Slaughter, and Keene braced themselves for impact, praying that such close proximity to the rocket would grant them death when it blasted off. They waited. And waited. And the plasma ray screened down into the center of the cloud and shook the ground. When the flash pack looked up, the cloud was gone. And so was the rocket. But not so much in that blasted-off way as that half-melted, half-exploded hunk of junk sort of way. Von Wicky Jr. was nowhere to be seen. Unless you counted the blobby goo puddle that sort of half-filled out his smoking tux. Huh. How does that work? And where's Crisp? I'm here. The girls turned and saw Crisp trudging towards them across the desert, hauling an enormous extension cord behind him. Where have you been? Are you okay? I still
12: don't get it. We should all be little blobs of goo, too.
11: And where did you get the
4: wire?
1: This? Oh, I made the power supply unhappy. Come again? I unplugged it. You know, you really should check that sort of thing before you go firing plasma. You could have exploded us. But I remember that Molly is always complaining about not having enough power cords on the station, so I brought it with me.
6: Just tell us next time before you wander off like that, please. I was worried you'd gotten vaporized, too.
1: Oh, I am sorry.
11: Yeah, but the part where you just saved our lives was pretty cool.
1: Actually, I burnt my finger.
11: Molly unwound the rubber band and chucked it to slaughter. She held it at arm's length, as if the rubber band itself would cause another explosion. You know what? I don't think I'm really all
6: that attached to this anymore. And Crisp, she doesn't mean cool as in the temperature sense. She means you
11: done good.
1: Oh, okay. Cool.
11: Slaughter and Crisp finished dragging the extension cord across the desert and loaded it onto the transport. As the rocket had not been completely melted, Molly and Keen wandered around it, trying to see if any parts were salvageable, after which the flash pack loaded back in and set off for the launch pad and home. Back at Flashpoint, they all went their separate ways to freshen up before dinner.
1: Slaughter, can I talk to you for a minute?
11: Sure, Crispy. What's up?
1: Nothing, really. I... It's just... Well, it's Keen.
11: Keen?
6: What about her? Did she do anything to you? I told her to leave you alone.
1: Well, no. Not really. She didn't say anything. She just keeps giving me a I-wonder-if-this-is-good-to-eat look. It makes me nervous. I think she thinks I'm still working for Dex.
6: Don't worry about it, Crisp. I'll talk to Keen again after dinner. Just play nice with her, and eventually, maybe, if the stars are lined up right and she doesn't wake up two minutes before her alarm is set to go off, you'll find a friend.
1: I like having you as a friend.
6: Oh, Crispy. Come on, let's go to dinner.
1: All right, just stop calling me that, would you? And I'll be there in a minute. I have to run to the bathroom.
11: Meanwhile, Molly had arrived back in her workshop to an unpleasant surprise. You called an exorcist?
1: Well, yes. Come, Miss Singh, clearly the reason your hyperdrive was not working is because of demonic possession.
12: I swear... The universe is just trying to keep me from ever leaving this room because when I do, crazy people show up
11: and mess with things! Missing, I... Molly, seeing the futility in argument, put her fingers to the bridge of her nose and walked away. Slaughter approached Dr. Stella while trying to simultaneously avoid the black-robed, two-headed priest that was wandering around the room, sprinkling holy water and muttering in some language that could have been Latin.
6: Doctor, I know you're, uh, supposed to be the expert here... But I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that you probably should get him out of here. This is Molly and Julie's baby, and if it starts quoting Psalms, she's going to be pissed.
11: Twenty minutes later, had managed to convince off to vacate the premises, fixed herself a cup of tea, checked into the control room, and was knocking on the door to Molly's room. Molly? What?
6: Um, first, Simmer. Second, we just got a message from Max. Max? Yes, Max. He's on screen and wants to talk to you. Max is on screen? Yes,
11: Molly. Max is... Am I speaking something not English? No, no, you're good. Molly practically ran to the bridge of the station.
10: All right, guys, it's been great talking to you, but I need to speak to Molly in private for a minute. I'll see you all soon.
11: The rest of the flashback bade goodbye to Max, and the room emptied.
10: Hey there, Molly.
11: Hi, Max. How
12: are things on your end? Are you still off with Puck?
10: Let's not talk about that right now. I heard you and the gang got into quite a pickle there.
11: Molly blushed a deep shade of crimson.
12: It was nothing. We got a meson emitter out of the wreck.
10: Great. What's a meson emitter?
12: Do I live with complete dumberheads? It's the device I've been trying to get my hands on that creates a field of static around the ship. Kind of like a cloaking device. It'll make the ship harder to find.
10: Then congratulations to you. You gonna have that hyperdrive up and running by the time I get back? I'll do my best, Max. And I'll see you in your amazing hyperdrive in a couple days. Thornfield out.
11: Will Molly ever get the hyperdrive to work? Will Max make it to Flashpoint safely? Is Von Wicked Jr. gone for good? Find out the answers to these and more in next week's episode, How's Your father?
1: In this episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Lynn Nelson was Jill Slaughter, Peng Wen Wong was Sarah Keen, Jordan D. White was Crisp and Dr. Stelloff, and Elijah Webberhan was Von Wickett Jr. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Cod Mikowski. And that about wraps it up for this episode of Cast and Wax. I hope everybody at home is uh, happier than the people here appear to be. Well, I'd be plenty happy if someone wasn't a backstabber. Well, uh, then you should be plenty happy because, for example, I am not a backstabber. So someone is not a backstabber. That's not what I meant I meant if everyone was not a backstabber Well, that's not very likely Because the entire universe is made up of lots of people And there are some bad people in the world Yes, I can see one No, I wasn't referring to myself I was referring to, in general, there are good people and there are bad people Yeah, well, it takes one to know one Well, I know lots of good people Well, that's not what I meant, though I meant you're a bad person No, I knew what you meant, but I'm saying it doesn't really always work that way I'm not a bad person I'm a good person. You're not. You're not. You're not. Okay, guys, we're done with the show. Um, Waxwork female is fading up behind us, so let's let's smile and say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. 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 So- uh, Bye. Excellent. Excellent. Good stuff. Uh, be seeing you, folks.
0: To fill the entire sky Become one with the trees and Puppy dogs and otters Because being close to nature Makes me me high Let's shoot up heroin and La 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 la. Let's shoot up heroin, man. La 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 la
1: la 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 la. Waxwork.com does not condone the use of illegal drugs. Anyone who actually uses heroin is a jick. On the next episode of Cast and Wax. On guard duty, Peace Blossom and Broadband make each other uncomfortable.
5: I'm sorry, Peace Blossom, I know how uncomfortable you get around the unit, but I've tried to tell you it hasn't been made out of iron since I was dial-up.
9: It matters not. Synthetic beings are corruptions of the natural way of life
1: on Tractor Fiction, they discuss the theory of evolution.
9: Young woman, the evidence is overwhelming. All of the schools teach it. It's accepted everywhere. DNA proves it. Science proves it. Carbon-14 proves it. Facts, facts, facts! Huxley, G. Gaylord, Simpson, Darwin, even National Geographic and Time Magazine knows it.
1: Unlike Mother, Pandora deals with the ramifications of murder.
9: So
11: it's one thing to slice a guy's throat and then hide the body in the basement, but when your daughter kills a guy. That's a whole other story. Now it's not just you that's insane and going to prison for the rest of your life. You've dragged your daughter. Pandora, darling, be
6: quiet.
1: All this, plus the stay in history and my segment, coming your way June 9th on Waxwork.com.